right, Kim, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And um, we've known each other for years now and entrepreneur to entrepreneur. Um, yeah. you know, I, the glam uh, life, <laughs> not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's, uh, it's, it's tough. But, um, you know, you're one of the few people I know that, um, you know, is really uh, in the trenches and um, putting the work in and, um, you know, kind of doing it from very kind of similar position, you know. But, um, yeah, I just want to get you on the podcast. Just want to have you share your story. And maybe we can just go back in time. Um, we'll go back in the time machine. Mm-hmm. You know, what was kind of your first job in technology? And kind of like, what were you doing and consulting? Like, how did you get your start career-wise? And, you know, kind of we'll, we'll work our way up from there. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you for having me. And you're going way, way back. <laughs> way, way back. I'm older than you, Hamilton. <laughs> um, <laughs> It was like the uh, back to 1985, <laughs> um, back to the future. So how I got my start in tech, I think, was teaching myself to build websites way back when the Internet was just becoming a thing. So that was late 90s, saw an opportunity, um, was kind of blown away with the, the power and the ability to connect people on the Internet and real quickly rolled up my sleeves and started teaching myself Um, everything I could about it and then figured out how to start a business back in the 90s. I think in terms of what I'm doing today, I'm on the flip side. Um, You tend to see entrepreneurs either, it's really where your risk tolerance is. And so a lot of them when you're young and going into school and and those ages, you're able to take more risks. And then on the other side of that, you know, my kids are grown now. And so kind of come full circle where I spent many years in corporate America and Um, leading technology teams, doing a lot of um, working with technology talent all around the world. And what we're doing now is kind of the the sum of all of those things. What did you learn in corporate America, if there's a takeaway that um, maybe sticks with you today? Oof. I learned a lot. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What did you learn? Top two or three things. Top two or three things in corporate America. I mean, I guess that I'm using today. I think understanding how corporations work and the different functions. So, so much, a lot about process. Um, And I know um, it's something maybe a lot of people haven't heard of. A lot of people have. Um, I was from the GE, GE school of leadership and there was a time when everyone was getting uh, Six Sigma trained and Six Sigma certified and it kind of I think we beat that drum a little too loudly to the point where Six Sigma got a bad rap Um, but I am a black belt a certified black belt and for me Six Sigma always was just a smart way to think a smart way to break down a problem um, break down a process into its individual components and if there's anything I feel like I apply every day, like I don't pull out all the Six Sigma tools and terms, but the approach in terms of figuring out what does your customer want? What problem am I trying to solve? How am I going to measure um, success? Implement my changes? Did it work? Did it not work? Things in control. Like that is really, really ingrained in, I think, how I do everything today. That's Demaic, right? Dema- Demaic, Demadvi, Demadov. We had a bunch of, we had all the acronyms, all the letters. Um, but yeah, a, there was... A, an encyclopedia or some um, kind of like summary just to know yeah. all the acronyms. But there was, there was um, a, a whole, in Becoming Black Belt Certified, there was a whole 
like slice of Six Sigma that was designed for Six Sigma. So that was DFSS, where you applied to Mad Dove, which, is, which had a design step instead of an improved step. But you're still taking that same thought process. And even today, when you look at Lean Startup, Lean Startup is something that gets taught to entrepreneurs all over the place. And Ash Moira, former GE, and um, I, I believe he's former GE. I know he's got Six Sigma in his, in his uh, toolkit. And a lot of the thought process of kind of test and learn as much as you can as quickly as you can and a lot of the agile methodology and thinking comes from those kind of earlier schools of thought which I feel um, I will always be grateful to have had exposure to and oodles and oodles of training that I think have paid that I'm trying to pay forward as much as I can today. So did you actually work at GE or did you work at a subsidiary or one of the portfolio type companies? All of, all of the above. I started um, with GE Fanuc, which was a joint venture with a Japanese automation company. And um, that was in Charlottesville, Virginia. I then went to GE Corporate and got a chance um, to work with the corporate marketing communications team. So I actually worked for Richard Costello, who was the We Bring Good Things to Life um, creator. Uh, that was hugely valuable experience. I worked for the corporate initiatives group, um, went out to Phoenix and then, uh, came and I, to kind of check all of the boxes, working for an industrial business, working for corporate, and then to kind of get as broad a set of experiences as I could early on. I wanted financial services and that was where I went to what became Genworth Financial in mm -hmm. Richmond. And I think I just got to see a lot, got to do a lot, got to learn a lot. And, you know, later on, I turned 40, lost my mind, did something that said, you want to go be an entrepreneur. And uh, now I'm kind of rolling up all that I learned. So you, you left and how did you leave and how did you decide to leave? What was like the transitioning every... Um, kind of corporate to entrepreneur Oof, jump yeah. is uh, unique, I guess, in yeah. its own right. Um, how did how did yours go? It was a big jump, and to be honest, I the the first jump failed. So while I was still at Genworth Financial, I was in a leadership role, and um, I was responsible for innovation and emerging technologies, and I was getting exposed to what I call startup Kool Aid. So I. Um, I was getting to go to like the disrupt events in DC. I was going, um, I flew to Silicon Valley a couple of times. I got to go to MIT and I just got really excited. Like I need to be doing something more meaningful than working for an insurance company. I need to be starting something. Um, and I, I think I got to, I went to South by Southwest EDU and something in the education space like struck accord with me, like it, wanting to do something related to teaching and training. Like these are also themes throughout my corporate career. And so the first company I started, I was still at Genworth and um, actually gave them a filled out conflict of interest paperwork and told them I was going to go start this other business. And I started a business that failed. So we went to go build a software product. It was called Intelligraph. We, the product was actually called um, Track 10 and made, I call that entire year, we spent a lot of money and I call that my PhD in entrepreneurship because I think I made every mistake <laughs> you could possibly. It was basically a year of unlearning all of the corporate life um, and then having to admit that 
this was never going to pay me like this. <laughs> so as much as, as much as I loved it, as much as I wanted to succeed, like this wasn't the thing. Um, but I think without that failure, I never would have started Max. And so it was coming out of that. I needed to figure out how to pay myself. And it was either go back to corporate America and get the job or figure out how to pay myself. And then that's kind of when the epiphany came that became Max. And seven years later, here we are. I found the thing. But it was by, quite by accident. So not, um, I didn't set out to go build what I'm building today. It just kind of evolved here. How did you, how did you spend the first kind of year at Max and you know team co-founders how did you how did all that like come yeah together? um getting everything started so max i had that year of mistakes under my belt so i think i did everything very different and when i say like the previous company was unlearning my corporate experience i think starting out i started out more wanting to have my own company which is not really the right reason to go build your own company it, <laughs> it was like i wanted my own company so we started with like building an intranet and coming up with our values and all kinds of things and we didn't even have a product or so with max it was quite the opposite um, what we're doing we're actually helping people get careers in tech we're providing high quality technology services at offshore rates and it's a completely by local model so we're creating jobs we start I started off with max trying to solve a problem which was how do we fill these, I saw the tech talent shortage way back in 2011 from my previous life and started out trying to solve a problem. And then really now, I think during the previous year, I was like reading Lean Startup and immersing myself in all that, but I wasn't applying it yet with Max. It was like, okay, how do I experiment as quickly as possible? Um, started off by okay this is a two-sided business model we're in essentially in the matching business we're helping people who want to get jobs find employers looking for talent and then we're bridging the the skills gap in between and so the first experiment was you know would anybody be willing to you know work for what we needed to pay you know at the time it was ten dollar an hour like ten dollar an hour it apprenticeship who's going to sign up and um, pulled that ad down within a weekend because I had more than 100 people apply in wow. just in Richmond. And I had people with GEDs and PhDs and everything in between. And we were like, oh, wow, okay, so there is a pool out there. And then it's, you know, finding customers who's, uh, is anyone willing to pay me when I say that, hey, I'm hiring apprentices, people that are trying to get their career started. And we found our first customer. Uh, was a nonprofit that needed a new website and made it work. And then we've just been steadily growing. I don't think Max really became Max. I mean, it was Max from day one until a year later when my business partner, John, joined because we're just kind of two sides of the coin. And um, so he really, he drives all of our execution and operations while I drive kind of the, the growth and the strategy for the business. And um, so that was 20... 2012, we were founded. 2013, I feel like things really took off. Nice. What are some of the kind of like, you know, when you look back on maybe some of the highlights or some of the, you know, most interesting years? Um, <laughs> you have any, anything like a they're, client they're signed They're all up? interesting. Yeah. They're yeah, all interesting. But there's some things yeah. you remember that, you it know, is very, yeah. I don't know, like just a customer being satisfied or just like, yep. you know, delighted or whatnot. 
Yep, we have a lot of those. And I think it's like each time, it was very cool when, when GE became a customer. Uh, so now when I was a vendor to oh, my former employer, like, mm-hmm. and that, you know, that, that was a big moment for us. That was like a bit, our first big Fortune, you know, Fortune 500, Fortune 100 company customer. Um, that was an achievement. Um, Genworth Financial, who I work for, also a customer. But you know, now I think so. Then growing beyond my network, that was uh, pretty exciting. Um, the best stories, though, I think all of our um, the things we're most proud of, the things we feel best about, are like the individuals. They're they're the stories of our apprentices. Like we get to see so many, we get to know so many people, um, and just be a small step on their their career path and the from twos that we've seen. So there's just, and I, I couldn't even begin to start I, I, uh, to pick one or two, just <laughs> where people are when they find out, you know, when they first apply. And then when we look at the jobs that they've gone into and now, you know, we've, I've got a pr- former apprentices, we have alumni out there making two, three times what I'm making that are, you know, senior data engineers at Capital One. And, you know, they're just, That's awesome. and w- when they showed up, maybe no idea we had, someone showing up wanting to become a mobile app developer and now they're a senior security engineer somewhere and it, it's just pretty cool to watch people grow uh it's like it's like being a parent it's like raising a kid <laughs> so like along the way in the beginning you're like a little kid you trip all the time and fall you learn how to talk how to walk and you know now it feels like we're we're just now like i don't know we're seven years later and it still feels like we're growing up it still feels like it changes um, every, I think in startup years versus corporate world, every quarter feels like a year, yeah. like you change so much. So like where we are, we just finished the year end stuff and where we are this year versus last year, it's just night and day different. And we're now talking, okay, how do we level up again? It's gonna be different, you know, it's gonna be different a year from now and more locations and things like that. And then what about, um, you know, kind of like the marketing side and just like getting the word out? What have you seen success with? Like, what, what do you, I guess, how are you uh, doing that? Yeah. Being honest, this is not our strong suit. And I saw, I share this with some people, and especially if you've got other founders. I don't remember where I read this because I always cite the sources. So I wish I could give credit to whoever I read this from. I don't know if it's a tweet or if it was in one of the startup books. But it stuck with me because it was like this eerie thing I read that said, whatever the founder is best at, the company will end up being worst at. Hmm. And I read that and I was like, oh gosh, that, I hope that's not true. Like, like, please don't let that be true. And then which thing is it? Like, I think I'm good at strategies. Does that mean we have a bad strategy? And oh my God. And it feels like right now we're weakest at sales and marketing. And they hmm. said it's because it, the, it'll be the last thing you let go of. And so sales and marketing is honestly, that's what we're focused on this year. We've got to figure that out um, because most of it to date has been word of mouth. It has been me doing things like this. It's been um, us just treating people right. So our customers tell other customers and our apprentices tell other apprentices and our customers send us potential apprentices. So it's it's been very dependent on word of mouth. I think for me, moving out to Hampton Roads was a big learning experience going into a new market, but it was still very tied to that word of mouth and getting the word out there. Going into Durham, which is a larger market, 
Um, we're trying to be intentional about it this time. So I think this is going to be our first pass at, and we're trying to define what do those sales and marketing roles look like. We've been very blessed so far, but of course it's not going to scale if we don't figure that out. And so I've kind of got to remove myself from the process. I keep saying to the team, this is the, the last job we've got to fire me from. Like, you, you know, you start off, you're wearing all the hats and I was like, okay, this, the sales and marketing one, I'm still, I'm still wearing that one. We've got to figure this out so that it's not dependent on me because if you're building anything that's going to last it can't all be dependent on you so and uh, total headcount now is where are you at with total headcount changes every day I think we're at 75 yeah. so I'm pretty sure we are at 75 and that is uh, 60 plus 60 and a few apprentices so those are folks who are going to be with us for you know one to three years and then they're moving on to other jobs so those roles are constantly um you know, we always have, we're, we're now picking up the pace. We're seeing two to four new alumni each month, and we're making probably three to six new hires. So the number of apprentices is steadily growing at a clip of two to three new seats per month, which feels pretty good. We'd like to figure out how to do that more, but we also don't want to compromise how we're doing it or how we're treating people. So um, that's always a tension that I think we feel it's like are we going fast enough you want to go faster but not at the expense of compromising quality or making bad decisions and I think I know the answer to my next question but I want to ask it anyway how are you spending your day like what's your what's a typical day like for you yes typical day now now it is I am focused on growing the business so I think it's mostly biz dev um I I dedicate certainly um we have a strong, capable team now, which is, it's just different. It's a new place to be. And I think John and I sync up probably uh, daily just on whatever's, so that we can kind of exchange the information. What's going on inside of the company is really all him and what's going on outside. So I kind of download whatever I'm hearing in the market, conversations that I'm having, and then he downloads kind of operational issues, how things are going on projects. Um, but typical day, there is no real typical day. <laughs> That, yeah, you're nodding your head because you know there is I no like typical day. I just want like, to know what you're spending your time oh, on. That's all. Yeah, that's the real answer is there is no typical day. Like yeah. you're you're always thinking. I mean, and day or night. Like I remember us in the ODU Innovation Center, like nine o'clock, ten o'clock at yeah. night. Like where are all the, you know, where's all the fanfare for the 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 sexy entrepreneur job when we're sitting here at night trying to figure out how to keep you know, I know keep our businesses going. There's a lot of work the that goes into days. it. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, still, eight, nine o'clock, you're still thinking about, it's like it's constant. You have to make sure you're taking time out to take care of yourself. That probably was something that I feel like um, maybe last year, it was it hit a, just a personal inflection point where I had been doing too much for too long, I think pushing and, and not being effective. So don't want brownie points or, or gold stars, if anything, that those are things I hold myself accountable for. And then having to re-inject some self-care into my life um, How do you do last that? What, year. What kind of self It's just taking time out and not neglecting just the... Just take off, just be off. Just be off. Spending time with my family, uh, you know, like reconnecting. Because I do feel like, I kind of told everybody up front, like, hey, I don't know why, but I need to go do this thing. I need to go build this. And it was different with Max than the previous startup, but I definitely went all in. But it's almost like I went all in and then almost checked out with everybody and everything else. And now I feel like 
almost like Rumpelstiltskin waking up, like coming back and, and trying to get back into, now we're running a company. So I feel like I've survived the startup stage. We're now, you know, a thriving, growing concern that pays for itself, right? And so I was able to take that time to kind of fix myself. But, I, you know, like going shop, it just things that you don't do as an entrepreneur. And it's easy to get really caught up in that. For me, it's like there's a heavy price to pay in terms of your health. Like I feel I'm just now getting back my weight, everything. It's just a... Um, it gets stressful. There's a, the, the bigger you get, you keep thinking it'll get easier, but it, it doesn't. It just keeps you, the types of problems you're facing keep changing, but the number of them or the level of risk you're taking doesn't. So making sure like building in a routine to take care of yourself is something I wish I would have done more of and I'm trying to think about now. What type of uh, mentorship resources do you kind of lean on mm. if any do you have people you go to or with ideas or advice yeah lots of them I like the um and I'm certainly not there's a lot of people I think who've written about this but I like the personal board of directors um way to think about it so I have a lot of mentors a lot of people who have been very important milestones as as part of my journey who I've learned different things from and for me that's just like you know, and I, I try to keep those relationships, meaning making sure to check in every now and then because you don't want to only show up when you need something. Um, but I have great advisors for different things. So, like, I know when I'm trying to, like, someone to poke holes in an idea I'm having, I know who my contrarian is. You know, it's like you've got different different people for different types of problems. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your, you know, I guess, goals for 2020? Yep. kind of strategic planning I know you got a new location new yep. market how are you thinking about that how are you thinking about you know the existing markets you have how, how do you split your time mm-hmm. yep well so definitely we've, we, we have a short list of goals for this year and I think we're pretty tight and focused but now I'm trying to we're, we're trying to inject a little of that Six Sigma type thinking we're getting our core processes tight, buttoned down I think we are in a prep to scale mode, so um, big priorities, continued the geographic expansion, so in Hampton Roads specifically, like we're not done, our Norfolk office is at capacity, meaning physically at capacity, so we're opening a second location on the peninsula, so making sure that that goes well and hiring the right lead to help us run that location. And then um, Durham is a big priority. So geographically, it's like I'm planning to continue my time and my focus here in Hampton Roads. Durham, we've hired um, our principal technologist who's going to run that location. So, of course, I'll be making some trips there, but not planning to to move there or live there. So we've hired someone locally who's going to run that. So that you're... I still view it as almost an experiment. It's something we haven't done before. So this is going to be a new market that we're going to build out, and I'm not going to go live there. So we'll see how that goes, but that is a big focus for 2020. Um, and then aside that, it, in order to do that, it necessitates that we fix the problem I mentioned earlier, which is the sales and marketing. So I think getting predictable with just even implementing sales and marketing tools and techniques and all that, we're trying to find that right level for us. Like we don't want to lose the word of mouth approach. We certainly don't want to become a sales, you know, driven organization, but we need a capability for sure. So. What um, what type of uh, 
I guess, what else is kind of on your mind for, I guess, long term? Do you see yourself, um, you know, like how do you how do you think about like long term planning? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you got short term planning, then you got like long term. Long term planning. planning. Yep. Long-term planning, we are trying to picture what does this look like at scale? What does it look like when there's max in every city? Um, we've got other cities very intrigued in having us there. So we've heard Macon, Georgia and, and uh, Huntsville, Alabama. And, you know, there's a lot of places where we'd like to be. And um, Jacksonville, Florida, we have, we've had some conversations there. And Southwest Virginia. So we've got um, looking at other rural parts of Virginia. But what does this look like when you've got multiple locations? So, you know, we've learned a little bit kind of keeping Richmond and, and Hampton Roads. Or Richmond and the 757. Sorry, <laughs> I had to get with the program. Yeah, <laughs> Richmond and the 757 um, communicating across those two offices. But how do you maintain a culture and it'll be striking that balance because we don't want to be a chain or a franchise or have that feel to it. So there is something unique about the culture we've built, but you also want to kind of, as you grow, like respect the cultures of all the cities that we go into. So you're hoping that each location we open will add something new and different to the culture as opposed to us taking a, a single max culture. So that's going to be a fine line. It'll be interesting um, that's just on my mind. It's like, don't mess it up. So we, we, we've achieved something where we have a reason to celebrate and be thankful. But then also going forward, like, how do you not, it just puts more pressure on you to not kind of mess with what we've done so far. So. What would you say to a, a client or prospect that is, you know, thinking about kind of like the apprentice model they're thinking mm-hmm. about like talent tech talent placement how would you kind of you know what should they be thinking about what are some like three things that they should do to kind of re- prepare for this type of uh, yeah. engagement I think so it's definitely we've been for seven years I think proving that the best approach is learning by doing is the way to go um, and and the difference between knowledge and skills and you need both so we're now working closer with the schools i think people are trying finally figuring out like just because we say apprenticeship it doesn't mean anti-school like we work alongside the schools there's room for both and you know where people are getting their knowledge and their content from there are many different options for that so if you're trying to implement your uh, apprenticeship program it's like it's a lot more about how you're going to coach people who's sitting side by side with them um, you mentioned the word mentoring, like we are passionate about mentoring and just creating that environment where people have somebody to go to who has more skill than they do and um, building that environment. So anyone that's looking to kind of start their own apprenticeship program, one, it is most definitely possible, um, but thinking through who's going to be the guide because the success is 100% tied. Like our model would not work if it weren't for the hard work and effort of our core staff, our principal technologists, technical advisors, um, they're the ones who really make make or break that experience for our apprentices. And so making sure you're choosing the right people um, to provide that mentoring. And where, um, where can you know, potential clients reach out and connect with you? Where yeah, can they follow and, you? Yes, so they can find us at our website, which is maxpotential.com, max with two X's. Uh, of course, LinkedIn, um, people can get to me directly. I'm just kim at maxpotential.com. 
not surprisingly, that's a founder's right. You like you get you. <laughs> I get the first name for the email. That one's taken. So, um, but yeah, email me directly. Definitely, it is high quality domestic IT built by an IT professional. You know, kind of solved the problem. Solved the problem I had when I was uh, on the other side of the chair trying to find people, and then at the same time giving people opportunities to choose this as a career path. Love it. Well, thank you again for doing this, and um, have a have a good time. Perfect. All right. Thank you.